Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today on the program, Marvin McIlvaney has an important Bible in the News report. And we'll continue our teaching series with Steve Butler on why we should study Bible prophecy. Our next Clarity to the Chaos Conference is less than a month away. Saturday and Sunday, April 15th and 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Greg Patton, Micah Van Huss, Josh Davis, Larry Stam will all be presenting how you and I can bring clarity to the chaos. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, for complete speaker lineup and schedule. That's swrc.com and click on events. Time now to get our Bibles out and join author and teacher Steve Butler for today's look at the importance of exploring Bible prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off from our last program in Psalm 68, verse 18. Psalm 68, verse 18, and we were using Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 12, as a proof of the fulfillment of this prophecy. And what we're going through, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, we're going through a 13-point explanation of why explore Bible prophecy. And we're in point number six, and the title of point number six is Prophecy, Especially Already Fulfilled Prophecy, Confirms the Accuracy and Therefore the Authority of God's Word. We are looking at the New Testament fulfillment of a variety of prophetic statements that were made through the prophets by God, through the prophets, about various aspects of Jesus Christ and his first coming and his death, burial, and a resurrection. So all of those obviously have already been fulfilled 2,000 years ago. So in looking at the prophecies about his first coming and his first coming prophecies being fulfilled in such great detail, we should have the confidence that the prophecies that deal with the yet future to us, yet future to today, will be fulfilled in exactly the same way to the same degree of accuracy, which is perfection, that we found in the study that we're going through right now, looking at Christ's first coming and his death, burial, and resurrection. So let me review again the verse in Psalm 68, a psalm that was used, uh, written rather, by David over a thousand years before Christ and has its fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And in Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, You have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives, you have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. In our last program, if you'll move now into the New Testament, find your four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and work your way through Acts and Romans and the two books to the Corinthians, You'll come to uh, four smaller books, Galatians and then Ephesians, and this is the book that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. This is the church on the west coast of Turkey where the apostle John actually took Jesus' mother, Mary, and if you visit there, as we did back in oh, 2010, you can actually find the structures where they believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived under the protection of John, who became the bishop there in Ephesus through the 
latter part of the first century A.D. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we find a fulfillment of Psalm 68, 18, and it's actually in two parts, and I broke those into the two parts. Part one had to do with ascending and descending, and then ascending, and it has to do with Christ when he was crucified, he was buried in, in the tomb, and while he was buried in the tomb, he actually went down to Hades, to Sheol, where all the spirits are, or were, I should say, were at that time from Adam and Eve on. That's where their spirits went, and they were either in the side of Sheol or Hades, it depends on which language you're using, Sheol or Hades, on the one side for the unrighteous and on the other side for the righteous. If you were with us in our last program, you know we went to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we went to Luke chapter 16 and specifically verses 19 to 26, and we read a pretty clear description that Luke gives us having to do with Hades or the structure of it. And on the one side, the unrighteous, which was the rich man, and on the other side was the poor man, Lazarus, leaning against Abraham. And it was a depiction of tranquility, and on the other side was a depiction of a horrible scene of flames and thirst and a dry tongue and the so forth and so on, and the rich man pleading with Abraham to send Lazarus back and so forth. So the point was it was divided in half. So what it means that was prophesied in Psalm 68 and was clarified through its fulfillment in Ephesians chapter 4 is that when Christ died, he went down there to the Abraham side, to the righteous side of Hades or Sheol, and took all of those spirits who were being held, if you will, captive there, and took them with him to heaven. And from that point on, a righteous person's soul never goes down to Hades or Sheol. It goes directly to heaven, waiting to be matched up with its body at the rapture of the church. And that's for the church and for those people who died before the church was started at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They will receive their bodies at the end of the tribulation which is only a few seven-plus years after the rapture of the church. So all the people, all the righteous people will, will receive their, their bodies again to live with God and with Jesus forever. So that's a wonderful thing that we have to look forward to. It's a confident expectation, a glorious thing, if you will, that we're looking for. That's the understanding and the explanation of he descended and then he ascended with captives. And then I wanted to get into the second part of the uh, Psalm 68, 18 statement, and that had to do with Jesus giving gifts even among the rebellious so that God could be there. And what he's talking about is in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and first of all, let me read verse 7 for context. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Then verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men, just as it says in Psalm 68, 18. And then he explains what he's talking about in verse 11. 
and he gave. So it says in verse 8, he gave gifts. So here they are. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, that is the believers, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So when it said that he gave gifts even among the rebellious, he was talking about Christ, through the Holy Spirit, gave spiritual gifts to certain people to become evangelists and apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers so that they would announce to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ among a rebellious, unbelieving, unrighteous world. So that's what that's talking about in those two parts of Psalm 68. He came down after his death before his glorious resurrection and took all of those souls that were counted as righteous in the Old Testament and took them with him when he went up to heaven. And then it says he also at the same time gave gifts to men to establish what we know today as the church. And within the church, there are certain people gifted to do different things to bring to knowledge the gospel of Jesus Christ to that unbelieving world. So hopefully that's an amazing fulfillment, actually in two parts, that you can see the um, absolute accuracy of that Old Testament at the time of Christ was a thousand years old prophecy about what he would do with the, the souls of the unrighteous and then the gifts he would give to men to establish and to empower the church to preach the gospel in the midst of an unrighteous, unbelieving world that hates the church, actually. Let's move on, because we got a number of scriptures yet to go here in point number six, and it gets better and better. We're going to build, actually, a little bit on what we read in Psalm 68 by going to Isaiah 61. So Psalm, you have the, the long 150 uh, Psalms, then you have the Proverbs, which were written by uh, Solomon. And then you get into Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Then you get to Isaiah. And let's go to Isaiah 61. This is one of those interesting verses, if you will, that has some explanation that needs to be made around it because there are several places in the Bible, a lot of them in Isaiah, where you have a near-term fulfillment of a prophecy and then a distant or further future, far distant, far future rather, far future fulfillment. And this is what we find in Isaiah 61. So let's read Isaiah 61, the first three verses. Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sound familiar? We just finished talking about captives in Psalm 68 and Ephesians 4. So these are the same captives. To proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, verse 3, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now we need to first of all understand who Isaiah is. Isaiah was a prophet that lived and wrote back about 650 B.C., so 650 years before Christ was born, and he was proclaiming, he was prophesying on behalf of God to Israel. He wasn't prophesying to America, (laughs) which didn't exist, or to anybody else. He was prophesying about Israel specifically. But within that, he's also prophesying about Jesus Christ. And when you prophesy about Jesus, you know that that has to do with all of us, all of us who are counted as righteous. That includes the church. Any Gentile that believes in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, they are counted as righteous. Therefore, they are addressed when Isaiah is talking about Christ. But when he's talking about, for instance, in, in verse 3 of chapter 61, Zion, he's talking about Israel. And when he talks about the land, and so forth. He's talking about Israel. So we need to be able to make that differentiation whenever we're looking at Scripture, understanding the context and who's speaking to whom about what. What is the subject? So let's look at this Isaiah 61 passage that we just read, verses 1 through 3. And before we dig into this, I want to go to the New Testament fulfillment because it provides us with the bigger context. So let's keep our hand in Isaiah 61, and let's go to Luke Luke chapter 4. So we go into the New Testament, and we go Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the third gospel. And we go into Luke chapter 4, and we're looking for verse 16 to start our exploring in Luke chapter 4 at verse 16. All right, in context, we understand here that this is Jesus speaking And he is very early in his ministry. He has not called his apostles yet. He is basically ministering and traveling about, uh, if you will, an itinerant pastor. For lack of a better term, he was an itinerant pastor going through and preaching on his own. And in verse 16, it says, he, and that's Jesus, came to Nazareth. This is his hometown where his parents lived. And it says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And now it's going to be quoted from Isaiah chapter 61, which we just read. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, And he sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, if you remember what we read Keep your hand in Luke 4 and go back to Isaiah 61. And you look through Isaiah 61, those first three verses, you'll see that Jesus purposely stopped at the first line of verse 2. 
and that is to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Because look what the next line is in verse 2 of Isaiah 61. And the day of vengeance of our God. So this is an example of where Christ will use a passage that actually covers a long, long period of time. Isaiah 61, verse 1, and the first line of verse 2 apply to his first coming. And then Isaiah 61, verse 2, second line, the day of vengeance of our God, is a description of his second coming. So there's 2,000 years between line 1 and line 2 of verse 2. Do you see that? Because from verse 2, line 2, down through verse 3, and then, of course, throughout the rest of the chapter, it's talking about Israel in the second coming and how God is going to bless them. They're going to go from mourning to gladness, from fainting of spirit to the mantle of praise, and so forth and so on, and how he's going to bless Israel. He's going to fulfill his covenant promises with Israel. But he uses the first verse of Isaiah 61 and the first line of verse 2. And just for a little bit of clarification here, realize that when Isaiah wrote this, there were no chapters and verses. You didn't go from verse 1 to verse 2. So it flowed, but the Holy Spirit led the people who canonized, put the Bible together to divide it up this way. Not that it takes anything away from the value, the truth, and the explanation of the Bible. So the point to be made here, and the point that we will talk about in our next program, is that this was fulfilled, and it'll be fulfilled in two different parts. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. We have two outstanding resources for you to consider today that will help you stay informed and deepen your knowledge of Bible prophecy. First is our Prophecy in the News magazine. Prophecy in the News magazine equips you with useful articles and insight written from a biblical perspective and always encouraging us to keep looking up. What would have happened if the resurrection never occurred? Find out in the latest issue of the Prophecy in the News magazine. Another outstanding resource is the book What's Next by Dr. Kenneth Hill. What's Next looks at the different views people hold to concerning the end of the age. Subscribe to Prophecy in the News magazine and order your copy of the book, What's Next, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Here's Marvin McIlvaney with today's Bible in the News report. Our nation is a nation built on laws. Of course, the big ones like no killing, no stealing, no false witness are from the Bible. The United States Constitution is the nation's fundamental law. It catalogs the core values of the people. Courts have the responsibility to interpret the Constitution's meaning, as well as the meaning of any laws passed by Congress. Let's just say there have been some bad laws, no doubt about it. Suicide used to be a crime. Spitting on the sidewalk used to be a crime. Now we have assisted suicide, and in places like San Francisco, you can defecate on the sidewalk. As sad as that is, it's true. We have laws but no justice, as someone has said. Every once in a while I see a law passed that I agree with, 
Here in Oklahoma, House Bill 2130 says, if an intoxicated driver kills a parent in a DUI accident and the parent has minor children, the court may order child support payments as part of the sentence. I think that would be fitting. If a person makes the choice to drive impaired and kills a parent, the person will encounter another consequence for that deadly decision. House Bill 2130 passed the Oklahoma House of Representatives 83 to 11 with strong bipartisan support. It now moves to the Senate floor for a vote. Speaking of laws, I see that the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has pulled the liquor license of the Hyatt Regency Miami following news that the luxury hotel hosted a holiday-themed drag show in December with minors present. I didn't know governors had that power, but I'm glad he did. During the Christmas break, the high-end hotel hosted a drag queen Christmas. I know this is going to be graphic, but this is what Governor Santis had to base his decision on. A drag queen Christmas featured prosthetic genitals, performers rubbing fake breasts on audience members, simulated masturbation, as well as graphic depictions of childbirth and abortion. Sounds like a real family Christmas show. For the life of me, I cannot understand why anyone would take their children to a smut-filled exhibition like that. And at Christmas? This is how they celebrated the birth of our Lord and Savior? And why do drag queens want children at these shows anyway? You can't take children to see an R-rated movie. And this is so much worse. A complaint was filed with the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation, known as the DBPR. Following the complaint, the DBPR stated it was revoking the venue's license for the sale and consumption of alcoholic beverages. A statement from Brian Griffin, the press secretary of Governor DeSantis, noted, Sexually explicit content is not appropriate to display to children, and doing so violates Florida law. Governor DeSantis stands up for the innocence of children in the classroom and throughout Florida. We can't discuss all the things that they did at this so-called show. Believe me, it was vile and disgusting. A local group that advocates for LGBTQ rights denounced the move as, quote, selectively weaponizing, close quotes, arms of the state government against drag performers. Quote, how far will he take this anti-LGBTQ crusade in his desperate attempt to outrace his presidential primary opponents? Will he punish electronic stores because parents buy their children certain video games? Close quotes. And of course they bring up the First Amendment when they say a fundamental tenet of the First Amendment is that the government should not punish people simply because it disapproves of the content of their speech. I think Governor DeSantis is right. There has to be some deterrent in order to stop this kind of moral freefall. We certainly know that the Great Tribulation is coming. We can't pray that away. The Bible says evil men will wax worse and worse, which they are doing. But we can't just stand by and watch it happen. It seems the same freedoms that made this country great is now destroying it. People cry freedom, but what they really want is the freedom to do whatever they want. They say you can't legislate morality, but we can certainly foster an environment where morality can flourish. Which brings up another law being proposed. San Francisco's Reparations Committee has proposed paying each black resident $5 million and granting total debt forgiveness due to the decades of, quote, systematic repression faced by the local black community. 
the San Francisco Afro-American Reparations Advisory Committee, which advises the city on developing a plan for reparations for black residents, released its draft report last month to address reparations. Not for slavery, since California was not technically a slave state, but to address the public policies explicitly created to subjugate black people in San Francisco by upholding and expanding the intent and legacy of slavery. Now think about this statement. It says not for slavery, since California was not technically a slave state, but to address the public policies explicitly created to subjugate black people in San Francisco by upholding and expanding the intent and legacy of slavery. So they admit it's not for slavery. It's for public policies created to subjugate black people. I don't know. Could they maybe provide an example of these policies before they give everybody $5 million of taxpayer money? To be eligible for the program, the applicant must be 18 years old and have identified as black or African American on public documents for at least 10 years. Does that mean I could identify as black and be eligible? They must also prove at least two of the eight additional criteria. Choosing from a list that includes one, born in San Francisco between 1940 and 1996, and personally or the direct descendant of someone incarcerated by the failed war on drugs. So if my uncle went to jail for selling dope in 1995, I can get $5 million? This same insanity is being introduced on the federal level by none other than Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, a Democrat out of Texas, and 52 House Democrats. They proposed legislation seeking reparations and a national apology for slavery. Representative Sheila Lee is the same person who introduced a bill criminalizing conspiracy to commit white supremacy, which includes criticism of non-white people, which influences an individual to commit a hate crime. So think about that. What I am saying to you now would be a crime according to her bill. If someone listens to this and decides, no way are we giving $5 million to someone who was never a slave, I could go to jail. Besides that, what about the Native Americans? Europeans took this land from them. Where's their money? What about the Japanese Americans who went to internment camps during World War II? Where's their money? How about survivors of police abuses in Chicago? Where's their money? Victims of forced sterilization or experiments on people? What about the Eskimos and the Aleuts in Alaska? What about the Chinese working on the railroads? I'm sure if we look hard enough, every ethnicity has some kind of grievance. The Italians, the Polish, the Irish. We read in Isaiah 10, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. Friends, we are having tremendous response to our brand new Timely Tools catalog. Timely Tools highlights the latest resources from your friends at Watchmen on the Wall and SWRC. Each month, this beautiful catalog is delivered to you full of the latest books, DVDs, and other timely resources designed to inform you and encourage your faith. Timely Tools is a free way to stay up to date on all the latest DVDs and books by your favorite speakers and teachers. Get your copy of Timely Tools by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. 
Tomorrow on Watchmen on the Wall, Billy Crone reveals his brand new findings on Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, and the coming Mark of the Beast. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.